Okay, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4 as we continue on our way towards the end of this amazing little letter. If you're having trouble finding it, remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. As, um, as you're flipping to our text for this morning, let me just give you a little update. I've been traveling for the last three weeks. Boo, boo for me, boo for you. But uh, a lot of good has come, come from it. The churches uh, send their greetings. The, the church, Trinity Church in Portland, Morning View Baptist Church in Montgomery, uh, the Garden Church in Baltimore, and New, Co- uh, New Covenant Baptist Church in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, so encouraged by the strategic partnerships we're making with other like-minded congregations across the country and, and, and by God's grace, perhaps even across the world. Uh, you know, what I'm most encouraged by is that whenever I go into a healthy church, regardless of whether or not it's a weird hippie church in Portland or a very traditional Southern Baptist church in Montgomery or a church in the middle of the hood in Baltimore or a predominantly Korean church in Rockville, Maryland, we're all doing the same thing on a Sunday morning. We're reading the word, we're praying the word, we're singing the word, we're preaching the word, we're reading the word, and we are feasting on Christ through his word. Amen. So a lot to be encouraged by. So um, I, I say this often, and you probably think it's just like a kitschy little thing that I do, but when I say what I'm about to say, I, I want you to know that I say it because I really believe it. Uh, You are here this morning because God wants to minister to you with this word, right? Like, it's not an accident. We're Christians. We don't believe in luck. We don't believe in accidents. What we believe in is something called providence. God's sovereign hand orchestrating all of eternity towards a particular end. And, and, And that's massive in its scope, Sometimes you can zoom all the way out and look at God's providence in all of human history. Sometimes you can zoom all the way into a Sunday morning. And you can say, I can say as I look out at every person in this room, that God placed each and every single one of us here, right here in this local church, this morning, to hear this text because we need to hear it. Now there are two different kinds of people here this morning Um, that need to hear a a sermon about joy and peace. At some level, most of us have troubled hearts, right? And so God brought you here because he loves you, and he does not delight in his children having troubled hearts. Your Father in heaven wants you to know peace, and not just any peace, a a peace that surpasses all. All understanding, a peace that puts sinful anxiety to death, a peace peace that floods every nook and cranny of your heart and mind with the joy and peace of Jesus Christ, okay? Now maybe you're just, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, actually, you just caught me on the one Sunday? We're like, I'm doing great. My heart, listen, marriage, crushing it. Finances, hey, I can't complain, right? Like work's going good, right? Spiritually, I've been in the word. I feel close to Jesus. Well, praise God. If that's you and your heart isn't troubled, now here's the the bummer. You should know that it will be soon. (laughs) 
or sooner than you expect. That's just the way it works. You live in a fallen world where you will be impacted by sin negatively. Your heart will be troubled by sin. Your sin, the sin of someone else. So even if you, if you feel like you're soaring in Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you to be an active, thoughtful listener because it could be that the Lord is giving you this word to prepare you for the next season of sorrow and struggle and difficulty. On top of that, here's another good reason for you to listen and to listen closely. Because as a Christian, you are not called to look after your own interests alone. Right? As a Christian, you are supposed to look after the needs of others, the interests of others. So what that means is that when you hear a sermon like this about ministering to the heart, you should be thinking, oh, the Lord is putting more tools in my tool belt to help me minister to those who may be broken. Right? So if, if in the course of what we call biblical counseling, which is just a fancy word for discipleship, if in the course of your biblical counseling relationships with your spouse or your children or your fellow church members, you find yourself struggling to offer counsel, like wise, good, useful, helpful counsel to those who are struggling and anxious and suffering, you should be taking really good notes this morning because these verses are here to equip you to be a better minister of the gospel. So with that in mind, I have four points for you this morning. And whoever put on the air, thank you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was really good. Thank you so much. I didn't want to be the one to say anything. Four points for you this morning. Point number one, rejoice. Point number two, reason. Point number three, request. That's three R's. Are you guys tracking? Point number four, receive. I did it, guys. All four R's. Rejoice, reason, request, and receive. And I think those four R's really are from the text. So let me go ahead and read it, and then we will pray and dive in. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. This promise is for you, and it's from God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we need your help this morning to not just hear this, but to believe it, to revel in it, and to obey it, to apply it to our lives. So, Would you help us for the glory of your name and for the good of this church? Amen. Point number one, rejoice. Just go back to verse four with me real quick. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So, what Paul is doing here is as he's coming to the end of his letter, he's, 
He's beginning his closing exhortations to his beloved Philippian church. And one of the final notes that he wants to sound to them is a note of joy. And this is not like a casual, passing, soft note he's trying to sound, right? He doesn't just say, oh, and by the way, I almost forgot to tell you this. You guys should be rejoicing. No. He says, rejoice. And then after that, he says, again, I will say it, rejoice. You guys remember, one of the principles of hermeneutics when we interpret the Bible is that whenever we see something repeated, we should really pay attention, right? You tell your kids, don't touch anything in the grocery store. And then you stop right at the door and you go, now listen, seriously, do not touch anything when we go into this grocery store, right? Repetition is there for the sake of emphasis. Now let's, let's re- remind ourselves what it means to rejoice. We rejoice when the joy that is in us has to overflow out of us, Right? The joy that we have in God cannot just, you know, you you don't put a, right, the candle under the, right, it it has to come out of you. That's what, when we rejoice, when you're singing a song and Luke plays it just right and the Spirit's ministering and you you just have to throw your hands up, right? That's a, a physical expression, if you do that, you can do that, of an inward reality. Now, this this call to rejoice might present some of us with some problems right off the bat. I was recently rereading um, the classic American Western novel True Grit by Charles Portis. And uh, the villain there, Tom Chaney, you know, the, his thing is everything and everyone is always against me, right? And, and that might be how you're feeling this morning. You, you might feel like financially everything is against you and relationally everything is against you and, and physically your body seems like it's rebelling your sickness and weird symptoms that you can't do away with. You feel like that is hindering you from rejoicing and emotionally everything's against you. You know, you don't know what it is, but you just feel like you're crazy lately and spiritually you might feel like everything is against you. And so you, you, you come to church and you, you're ready to receive from God and what you hope will be a blessing, what you hope will be like a concentrated dose of grace immediately begins to feel like a burden. Because I'm standing up here and I'm telling you, you got to rejoice. And you're like, I don't want to rejoice. I don't feel like I have good reasons to rejoice. It feels like everyone and everything, perhaps even God, is against me. And to make matters worse, Paul doubles down on this exhortation by adding another modifier to it. He doesn't just say it twice. He also says, rejoice always. There's no asterisk next to that. It's not like you are going to one day find yourself in a position where you're not rejoicing and God's going to be like, actually, this is the exception. This is the one time where you, as my child, purchased by the blood of my son Jesus, the recipient of all of my eternal gifts, this is actually the one trial, the one circumstance where you don't really need to rejoice. Right? Always means in every circumstance. So rejoice in the midst of intense spiritual warfare. Rejoice when you're suffering from the consequences of your own sin and stupidity. Rejoice when you feel the weighty but loving hand of the Lord's discipline on your life. 
rejoice when you're confused and anxious about the future because you thought you knew what your life was going to be and the path you were going to go down and now it is completely different and you have no idea what to do, rejoice. When you have to suffer in innocence because of the sins that others have committed against you. When you're in the midst of calamity and disaster and persecution, depression, rejoice in the midst of all of these. So, that, so then that leads to the question, okay, how do I do that? This is one of the problems in, in a lot of churches that some of us have grown up in, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of tell us what to do, but not how to do it, right? Thank God the Bible's not like that. <laughs> Thank God that God himself is not like that. The answer for how to do this is right there in verse 4. You might have missed it. It's tricky. One little, just, you see three words there. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, what, you see what Paul is doing there, what God is doing there? What, what, what he's trying to do right off the bat is correct your sinful, carnal, natural impulse to locate your joy in the wrong things and in the wrong places. Do you see that? So what you want to do left to your own devices without God sort of channeling your joy in the right directions, what you want to do is find your joy in your circumstances. What you want to do is find your joy in your life situation, right? But that joy is basically worthless, right? Joy in your financial success, worthless. Joy in your, uh, your family stability, worthless. Physical health and beauty, worthless. Artistic endeavors and creativity, worthless. Why are they worthless? Ultimately, I'm not saying there's no purpose in them here and now to some extent. As a matter of fact, joy in a lot of these things can really glorify God. But why ultimately, if you're putting your ultimate joy in these things, will they prove to be worthless? Well, the answer is because they don't last. Ever. Right? So the, you cannot always right, rejoice in the Lord always. Okay? That makes sense. Can you rejoice in your children always? Not even some of the time, it feels like, right? I mean, some of us can't have children. Some of us have children and then we lose them, right? And even if it's not quite that dramatic, our children are sinners. And they often just disappoint us. You can't always rejoice in your health or beauty because your body is going to fail you as you get older. It doesn't matter what technology is coming out. What kind of stuff you can inject in your face to make the muscles not do what they naturally want to do over time, droop? What kind of red light therapy you can do to, right? What kind of stem cells you can inject? Your body is dying and you cannot stop it from doing so. And you can barely slow it down. Oh, I know, you'll spend tens of thousands of dollars thinking that at some level you're, oh, it's working. It's really not working. You're not slowing it down that much. Your bones are getting weaker, your skin is getting rougher, your eyes are growing dimmer, your hair is getting thinner. I don't want to look at any men in the audience as I say that in the congregation. Everything is beginning to sag or swell or droop. And you can't, you can't always rejoice in your business success, can you? Oh, up today, down tomorrow. Up today, down tomorrow, Right? Even if you are the best and the brightest in your field, you are still going to fail and falter. 
when you rejoice in the Lord. Huh? When you rejoice in the Lord, you can rejoice always. Listen, we just sang this together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Your skin's changing. It's getting wrinkly. God's not. There's, there's no, thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Even when everything around you is changing and sometimes and oftentimes for the worse, he doesn't change. When you change for the worse, he doesn't change. When everything else in your life is in a state of flux, Jesus is a constant source of love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. His blood has made you clean. And guess what? That cannot be undone by your circumstances. His righteousness is your righteousness. And try though we might, we cannot sin our way out of that. No amount of sinful slip-ups can affect your true gospel identity if, 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 if we are truly changed by grace alone. And are we not? His glory never ebbs and flows. The stock market is going up and down. Gas prices are changing. With Sometimes I go and I see it and I'm crushed. Sometimes I see it and I'm happy when I shouldn't be because it's like six cents cheaper, but six months ago it was a dollar cheaper. Either way, right? Like the gas, They're up and down, but his glory never goes up and down. It never ebbs and flows. His love is a constant, and most importantly for you, his love for you is unchanging. In Luke 10, Jesus' disciples, this is some of the early days of his ministry, he sends them out on a mission trip, right? They come back from their mission trip, and boy, they are hyped. They're like, Jesus, we've been, been, listen, healing the sick, casting out demons. (laughs) You expect Jesus is going to be like, oh, I'm so proud of you guys. You did what I sent you out to do. That's not what Jesus does at all. He, He says... Well, listen to what he says. He says, well, first they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus says this to them. Do not rejoice in this. Isn't that weird? A bit of a killjoy. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Oh. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, don't even find your joy in good things that are not ultimate things, right? What do you mean, not ultimate things? Well, as you know, as a follower of Jesus, your spiritual power is not a constant. Your ability to slay pornography may be rock solid for a year, and then we're going to be sitting in my office chatting tomorrow, or, you know, the day after when you fall, right? You, You may feel like a spiritual warrior, until you fall and collapse. And, and then you're going to see that you're like the rest of Jesus' disciples. You fail Jesus. You flee Jesus. You forget Jesus. You deny Jesus. Right? So you cannot always rejoice in the fact that you have spiritual power because your spiritual power in this sinful body is always going to falter. But your name written in heaven, it's never going to falter. 
It's never going to diminish. You're, somebody can't even come along with an eraser and diminish even the tiniest little portion of your name written in heaven. God put your name in the book of life before the foundation of the world. You rejoice in that because it's unchanging. So, if you are struggling to find joy this morning, I'm willing to bet it's because, without even thinking about it, you have been looking for your joy in all of the wrong places. Even if you've been looking for your joy in very good things. I find my joy in the church. Oh, well, praise God, I'm glad. But listen, churches go through ups and downs. We've been through seasons of struggle together, have we not, brothers and sisters? Right? You can't find your ultimate joy in church, not even in this church, as much as I love it. I'm finding my ultimate joy in my marriage. H- how? How do you do that? I'm married to the best woman on earth. Every now and then I'm like, oh, now I know why I can't find my joy in you, right? <laughs> You're finding your joy in your career. How? How is that possible? How have you not realized that that's going to let you down over and over again? Right? We don't find our joy... And worldly things, we find our joy in eternal things and gospel things. And when that's true, we can hear this message not as a burden, but as a joy, right? As a relief. Oh, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can be obedient to that command. Yeah, because no matter what else is going on in my life, I can rejoice in Christ Jesus and his finished work on the cross for me. Do not tell me if you are a Christian that you cannot rejoice this morning. Right? How can that be true if your name is written in heaven? How can that be true if you have been buried with Christ and raised with him to newness of life? How can you not rejoice if the gospel is not only true, but true in you? Of course you can rejoice. What you just need to do is you need to have a season, and perhaps this sermon will be the beginning of that season for you, where you are just constantly being trained to rejoice in the right things. Point number two, reason. Look at verse 5 with me. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul says, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. And that, I think, is the, the grounding for why he tells these Philippian Christians to be reasonable. So, so what's the logic there? How does that work? Well, throughout Scripture, the nearness of the Lord, whether that's temporally or spatially, is connected to being sober-minded, to being reasonable. So let me just give you two quick examples. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, we read this. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. Right? He's close. So be reasonable. Or James chapter 5, verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That establish your heart, that's, the, that's be rooted, be grounded, be reasonable, right? Think like a Christian, feel like a Christian. So here's, <clears throat> here's how, how this works. Here's how the anatomy functions. Uh, Paul is making a contrast in this text, and we're going to get to anxiety in a minute. But he, he, he's making a contrast between reasonableness and anxiety, right? 
two sermons on anxiety in a row. It's almost like the Lord wants to minister to this congregation about something. We didn't plan this, okay? Um, we have a little pocket-sized definition of anxiety that, that I've given before. You might not remember it. Our, our pocket-sized definition of anxiety is to be overly worried. It's to be overly worried. Isn't that easy to remember? Somebody says, what is anxiety? You can say, oh, it's to be overly worried. And then someone will say to you, well, what do you mean? Is there an appropriate level of worry? Well, actually, yes, there, there kind of is according to the Bible. Uh, the, the word for anxiety or the word for anxious that, that Paul uses here is the same Greek word that's used elsewhere by him positively. And in your English Bibles, because we don't think of anxiety ever as a positive, the word is translated in English as care. So let me just give you two examples. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Paul says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care. And that's the word for anxiety. That they may be anxious for one another. You see that? That there's an appropriate anxiety. I, sh- I should be like, oh, I didn't see so-and-so at church on Sunday. I care for them. I'm anxious for them. I, I hope they're okay. I'm going to text them after church. Or Philippians earlier in the letter of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Okay? And that word for concern there is anxious. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So this brother is, is anxious to serve the body. That's what's concerning his heart and mind. So there is a good, con- we, we shouldn't say good. Good is too strong of a word. In a fallen world, we should say that there is an appropriate kind of anxiety. It's you care about this thing and you really should be caring about it because it, it, it matters. Okay. So what that means is that what Paul is exhorting us against here in this morning's text is a worry that is inappropriate. It's, an, it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's not reasonable, right? That's where this, this, this idea of reasonableness comes into play. If the Lord really is at hand, if he really is near, and if he really does love us, is there any reason for you to be overly worried? No. Of course not. Right? Just think about it like this. Like, you know, dad is almost home. Right? Uh, the king is returning to take his rightful place on the throne. And things are crazy. And we are his royal subjects. And we, we're trying to be faithful amidst the, the attacks against his legacy in the kingdom. But he's like, he's at the gates. He's going to be here soon. And we won't have to fight anymore because he's going to give us perfect peace. Right? God is coming And he's bringing his love, his joy, and his peace with him. How can you possibly be over-anxious, overly worried, if that's true? And if, if if you believe that, then you start to reason differently. That's why you're reasonable. You begin, God's nearness begins to factor into your heart. The things that you worry about aren't what they used to be. So you say, I'm overly worried about money. Why? I don't say that flippantly. I, I, like you, worry about money from time to time. But when I'm at my most reasonable, when I look at God's faithful past provision, 
And when I consider the fact that he's going to be here like that, before we know it, life is a vapor. He's coming to get us. And in heaven, I'm going to have everything I'll ever need forever. When I'm able to reason like that, all of a sudden, I am not overly worried about money. Right? That's, so that's what you do. How do you make your, your reasonableness known to everyone? You train yourself to reason this way, to think this way. You think, oh, I'm, I just have this fear that something bad is going to happen to my children. Okay? Okay, well, then you train yourself and you think, oh, well, my children don't ultimately belong to me. And, and God loves my children more than me. And, and I'm not God. And, and he has never withheld any good thing from my family that we've needed thus far. And he's never given us anything bad thus far. And when you can do that, then you begin to quell that over worry. And then when you begin to actually live like that, when your parenting begins to change, when the way you handle money begins to change, when the way you approach your career begins to change, all of a sudden your reasonableness is being known to all. People look at you and they go, how, how are they able to keep such calm? How are they able to have such a level head? How are they able to have joy in the midst of all of this? You've just been training yourself to think with gospel reasoning. Point number three, request. <clears throat> the, um, the famous uh, writer on writing, Anne Lamott, uh, says in her book on writing, Two Sparrows, that there are only two kinds of prayers. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and help me, help me, help me. Biblically speaking, of course, this is not true, right? But practically speaking, it's pretty on the money, right? Like when you think about your prayer life, if you were to survey all of the prayers that you've gone to pray before the Lord, most of them have probably fallen into these two categories, okay? Now look at verse 6 with me. <clears throat> Paul says, <clears throat> Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's what Paul is doing in verse 6. He's saying that if the Lord is really near, and he is, and if the Lord really does love us, and he does, and if he really does listen to us, and he does, then we should take anything and everything that we are overly worried about to him in prayer. You see that? But he doesn't stop there. He says that when we pray, we should pray in a certain way. He says that we should make our supplication, and you remember from earlier, that's when we ask for things, we should make our supplication with thanksgiving. Why? Because a heart that is focusing on God's past provision will have more faith to trust God for his future provision. Right? If, if you go, um, in, Russell's la in Russell's sermon last week, uh, he gave us a lesson from Jesus on how to fight anxiety. And a big part of Jesus' plan for you to fight anxiety was to look at nature. You remember that? Look at the, look at the lilies of the field. And doesn't God take care of them? And, if, and if, if God loves you more than he loves the lilies, and he does despite what the tour guide at the San Diego Zoo told me, um, 
he was like, God loves everyone the same. The ant, the human, the plant. No, right? If God really does love us more than he loves the lilies and he's cared for the lilies, won't he care for us, right? That's, that's the reasoning. But what I want you to see here in Philippians 4 is that another way to fight anxiety is to not just look at God's provision in nature, but to look at God's provision in your own personal history. Look at your own past. Ask yourself these good diagnostic questions. Question number one, (laughs) this is the easy one. Hasn't he been faithful? Hasn't he been faithful? Question number two, has he ever withheld from you anything that you needed? No. And you might be thinking, well, actually, there was this one. No. He withheld from you something that you thought you needed. And one day you're going to look back and you're going to be like, I'm so glad you didn't give that to me. Right? He's never withheld from you anything that you needed. Has he ever given you anything that was bad for you or hurt you from an eternal perspective? And the answer to that is, of course, no. Everything that he has allowed to come to pass in your life has only and always served you to make you more like Jesus. So, rather than worrying, being overly worried, anxious, shouldn't you be giving him thanks? Now, if you can, if you can intentionally calibrate your mind, calibrate your heart to think like this, when you pray, you're just going to pray differently, right? You're going to pray differently, you're going to go to God, and instead of being a, mm, anxious and timid and fearful and I'm afraid to ask this of you, you'll just go, you know what? We have such a good relationship. There's like a 20-year track record of you never failing me once, so I got this other thing that I'm going to ask you for, and it's just going to be a totally different prayer. There's going to be a kind of hopefulness and boldness and confidence and trust that glorifies God to the nth degree, right? If you've ever heard me uh, on a pretty consistent basis pray publicly, and most members in in our church have, uh, you will have heard me end uh, many of my prayers like this. It's, It's pretty common. I say, we ask these things with hearts full of great hope and expectation. Why do I say that? I didn't get it from like a Puritan. I say that because of this. Right? As I'm praying and I'm asking for big, scary, impossible, complicated things from God, things that I can't do for myself or for us, my natural instinct is to be fearful and to doubt. But if I just stop and meditate for like five seconds, then it, all, it, just, all, it, it just becomes so clear. And so I'm just able to say it and actually mean it. We ask you these things with hearts full of great hope and expectation because we are so thankful for every good thing you've already done for us now there's one one more thing i want to show you from from verse six before we move on i want you to see how in this verse god is inviting you do you hear me god is inviting you to come to him with your needs look at verse six again Do not be anxious about anything, look at this, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A lot of us are built like this. Some of us are built in such a way that the second we have a need, we we ask someone to meet it for us. 
And that's not good. We need to be built up. We need to trust that the Lord can, can create within us a kind of sturdiness and self-sufficiency by his grace. But nonetheless, some of us need to like not have our moms make our doctor's appointments anymore, right? But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, some of us never want to ask anyone for anything. We don't want to be a burden, right? We want to be the helper. We don't want to be the helped. This too is sinful. And it's doubly sinful when you let the way that you think about yourself in relation to other human beings begin to map itself onto your relationship with God. God is not bothered by your petitions. To state it even more strongly, not only is he not bothered, he would be bothered if you didn't bring your petitions to him. He is bothered. He is offended. He is slighted. He feels unloved when you do not bring what you need to him. He's your dad. And your dad delights. Now listen, I know that some of us grew up with dads who weren't like that. You said, dad, I need help with this. You better figure it out yourself, son, right? But he's our heavenly father. He delights to meet every need we have. Why? Because it glorifies him, right? When my daughter comes to me and she says, dad, I can't do this. I need your help to do it. What is she saying to me? She's saying, you you are capable You are worthy. It's a public recognition of my worth, my glory. It very rarely happens in my home. I revel in it when I get it, right? When we go to God and we say, God, here's a need that I have, he goes, I know. And I'm so glad you brought it to me, right? The most loving parents can be exhausted by the needs of their children. The most caring pastors can be drained by the demands of their needy sheep. The best friends can sometimes just, it can wear thin when your friend is constantly asking you for help. The best bosses and employers and business owners can sometimes get really frustrated with their employees who are constantly needing help with things. But God never gets tired of your petitions. Ever. He always says, I'm so glad you brought this to me. Don't ever feel weird about coming to me with these things. You are my child and it is my joy to serve you. God never runs out of energy or attention or resources. His patience doesn't wear thin. His nerves don't get frazzled. His love doesn't fade. So make your request known to God eagerly, often, and with hearts full of great hope and expectation. Amen? Point number four, receive. Uh, Here in point four, I want you to see the fruit, like what happens when you go to God with this kind of prayer, when you when you bring your anxieties to God. Look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, um. Sometimes when we try to define things, we can come up with like these long, clunky definitions. Uh, but when you, when you read the Bible, sometimes you see, even, maybe even if it's just like in certain contexts, the Bible will define certain words by just contrasting them with other words. So, for example, in the book of Romans, Paul defines faith in contrast with boasting, right? Faith is trusting in the Lord alone. Boasting is trusting and glorying in yourself, right? Here in Philippians... I think, I think we can define anxiety by way of contrast, not only with reasonableness, but also uh, in relation to peace. 
I, I didn't tell you this earlier because I don't want to bore you with a whole bunch of like, you know, here's what the, you know, the, the, the Hebrew poetry that was influencing Paul's writing looks like. But I think that this, these verses are kind of like a chiasm. And I think anxiety is in the middle because what, what comes before it and what comes after it is pointing back to it. So I think one of the ways that you can define anxiety, at least here in Philippians 4, is by, is by saying anxiety is a lack of peace. And that little simple definition, it resonates, right? Right? When, when, you, when you're feeling anxious, what do you, you're like, oh, I wish I had peace. I'm lacking peace. So what Paul is saying here is that when we meditate on the grace of God, both past and promised for the future, when we take our concerns to God, we will not only know joy, but we will also know peace. Now, if that were, an, if that were all he said, that would be amazing. It would be enough. But God's grace is always super abundant. He doesn't stop there. He says that you will know a peace that surpasses all understanding. All understanding. Now think about this. Think about who's writing this. Paul is sitting in chains. He knows that he's about to be uh, experienced an untimely, unjust, gruesome death at the hands of a wicked empire. Right? And yet he has peace. He has so much peace that he wants the Philippian church to know the peace that he has. So how does it work? Here's the simple answer, okay? When you rely on yourself, when you rely on your own understanding, when you find joy in your circumstances, when you try to use your own reasoning rather than gospel reasoning, you will be anxious. Do you see that? But when you rely on God, when you find your joy in God, when you reason from the perspective of eternity, what you will have is peace. Because the gospel says that our God will meet all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The gospel says that if God has given us his only son, how much more will he not also freely give us all things? The gospel says that God knows what we need before we even ask and that God delights in meeting our needs. Therefore, you can have peace. You can have peace when you pray to God. You can have peace knowing that God hears you. I remember when I wasn't a Christian, I would get into some pretty tight spots, and you know, the old, you know how it goes. No, there's no such thing as an atheist in the foxhole, right? And I was professing to be an atheist, and I would get into a jam, and I'd be like, God, God. And I, would, I didn't know what to say. Just repeat it over again. God, please help me. Please help me. Please help me. Why did I repeat it? Because I didn't believe it. I just thought, maybe if I say it enough, maybe this will do something. I didn't have any real peace that I was actually being heard by a personal God who's really there, who really loves me, really wants to care for me. But if you know that God, like really know him, not just know about him, not just, I've been sitting in X number of church services where I've heard enough sermons where I, I think I can piece together like a, a, some kind of image of what that, I mean, like if you relationally know him, if you love him and have been loved by him, then you can have this peace that surpasses all understanding. And you have to understand that if, if this peace that was being made if this peace that was promised to you could be understood, 
From a human perspective, without God's help, it would not be true peace. It wouldn't be the peace from heaven, right? I'm really struggling financially. I need this much money, and here is my plan to get it. You got your business proposal, you got your spreadsheets, the numbers all check out. Even if it works, and I hope it does, praise God and you achieve that little relief, that little moment of financial peace, that peace you experience from the spreadsheet is not the peace of God. Why? Because you don't need God to, math is math, right? It's when the math doesn't work out and somehow you still have peace, that peace is from God. I'm struggling in this relationship, and here's how I'm going to fix it. Here's my four-step plan. I've been talking to a counselor. I, have, I got what I'm going to do. Christian counselor or not, if you can get peace from a life coach, it's not God's peace. It's when the relationship is so tattered, so bruised, so broken, you don't know how it's going to, but you just have peace. That's the peace that comes from God. I'm wrestling with these emotional hang-ups and and, and I have all these neuroses, and psychologically I'm really suffering, and here's what I'm going to do to fix it. I'm going to take these pills, and I'm going to Freudian psychology or cognitive behavioral therapy, even if those work. And there's a pretty low success rate, about equal to placebo. Even if those work, and you achieve some measure of peace, you just have to know that that's not the peace that is being promised to you here in this text. If the peace that you can get comes from a pill, it's not the peace of God. It's when your issues are comprehensible, humans, humanly speaking, that you don't need God, right? It's only when your issues are so big, so deep, so complex that there's no easy or clear path forward that that is when you really go to God broken and low and you say, I need help. And for the Christian, because you know God is your true helper, you can have peace. Peace that he hears you. And peace that he will meet every need. I was, thinking about, I was thinking about this promise throughout the week in relation to the best Disney movie ever made. You guys know it. Say it with me. The Emperor's New Groove. No? Just me? Amen. Amen. If anybody would have said Frozen, oh man. In, in The Emperor's New Groove, you know, the main protagonist, Pacha, the father... He goes to Cusco. He's going to meet with the emperor, whose name is Cusco. And he, he, uh, he, he, he's there to, like, protect his home from being destroyed, right? That's his need. My family needs this house. My family needs this land. Please don't take it away. But when, when Pacha meets the emperor, he finds the emperor to be selfish and self-centered and arrogant and ignorant. It's played by David Spade, which it makes sense, Right? So when Pacha makes his request, when he makes his request known to the king, what happens? He's anxious. He's anxious. Why is he anxious? He has zero peace that the king will have the ability to help or want to help. Now think about your king. Is your king selfish? <laughs> he gave his life to save yours. What greater love is that? Is there than that? No. Is he self-centered? No. He gave away his glory on the cross. Why? So that you could enter into it. Is your king ignorant? 
No, he knows what you need before you even ask. And more often than not, he meets your needs without you even realizing you had the need in the first place. You're the one who's ignorant. He's not ignorant. Is your king unkind? No. He, he's so kind, he says, give me that burden. I'm going to give you the light and easy burden. And I'm going to have to die to do it, but I'm going to do it. Your king is perfection personified. So when you go to him with your needs, you know. You know. I hope you know. If you're a Christian, you should know. It's available for you to know that even if he doesn't give you what you want, he will give you exactly what you need. And then the rest of the world is going to look at you in the midst of this incomprehensible state that you're in. And they're going to see you have peace they're going to go, what in the world? How? How do you do that? And then you know what you do then, right? It's, it's the easiest setup in the world. Evangelism 101. You don't have to hand out tracts. You don't have to knock on doors. You don't have to assault people in public places. You just live a life full of peace and faithfulness unto Jesus Christ. And when people see that and they ask you about it, you go, oh, here's the answer. And then you tell them the gospel. You know, peace that comes from God, peace that comes from knowing God and being known by God, it's an incredible thing. Have you thought about it before, what, what peace is? Like, not when you have a temporary, frail, fragile peace, but when you have that, like, deep, abiding sense of peace. As Christians, we kind of, we stutter step in this true peace all the way to heaven. But whenever you experience that, what's happening is that your inner life is beginning to experience something of the inner life of God himself. Now, chew on that one a little bit. Your inner life is beginning to experience something of the inner life of God himself. Think, think about who God is. Is God ever worried? No. Is God ever afraid? No. Is he ever frustrated? No. Do difficult circumstances ever cause God to stop thinking rationally? Is there such a thing as a difficult circumstance for God? No. So what happens is you, when you really live in this reality that God through his son Jesus Christ by the power of of his Holy Spirit has united you to himself. Guys, it's not a metaphor Stop talking about it like it's a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. The Spirit of God that lives in you has united you to the God who birthed you from Himself. And by His grace, He allows us, again, stutter stepping on the way to heaven, but He gives us a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like when every now and then we really truly get to experience what it's going to be like to be with God. What it's like to be God on the inside. He is never anxious. He always has peace. Now, uh, here's your outro. I rarely do these, but I got one for you today, okay? Sometimes when you go to a doctor, they try to fix you right there in the office. Why? Because they can. You, might, you broke your finger. Great. They reset it, put a little splint or a cast on it, send you home. If you have an illness, and the illness can be fixed with like antibiotics, boom. They pump you full of antibiotics, they send you home. If your ear is clogged and it's causing weird stuff, they clean it out and you're better. 
Other times, you go to the doctor and the issue cannot be easily fixed right there in the office. So for example, you injure your knee, you go to an orthopedic surgeon, the orthopedic surgeon, you get all the scans and everything and he says, oh, uh, um, I can't fix this today and I don't think we need surgery, I'm going to send you to physical therapy. So what happens? You go to physical therapy and you get set up with a routine, right? You do rest, ice, elevation, you stretch and protect and strengthen the surrounding area. You guys have probably done this before, right? You've probably had some kind of injury where you've had to go through this. And, and the physical therapist, you get a handout and says, you know, here's some of these really, you know, weird exercises, you know, that you do at home. And you do them for 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks, however long it takes to get better. And so the prescription for what ails you is actually for you to go home and fix yourself. Do you see that? Brothers and sisters, you have to know that one or two sermons on anxiety will not magically cure you of an anxious heart. You have to know that, right? What, what's happening here is you have received a diagnosis and a, treat, a treatment plan from the great physician. And so what you should do now is be a doer of the word. You should be practicing these things. You should be trying to reason with yourself from the gospel. You should be thinking about the nearness of the Lord. You should be meditating on God's love to you in Christ Jesus and using these exercises to, to strengthen the muscles of your heart so that you have joy and that you are at peace and not anxious. Now, here's the thing about being a physical therapist. They'll tell you it's not uncommon to give people the recovery plan and they... It doesn't even, the, the sheets with the exercises, they don't even make them into the house. They end up on the floorboard of the car. And you go back to the physical therapist six weeks later, they're like, how are you feeling? And you're like, well, it feels exactly the same. And he says, well, did you do the exercise? And you say, no, I didn't. And he goes, well, duh. Right? Sometimes that's what happens in the church. Right? You come to the Bible study, you, you, you go to Sunday service, you, you hear God's diagnosis, you receive some kind of treatment plan to minister to your heart, and then your, your preacher says, like, hey, go do this. And you go, oh, roger that. I'm going to do it. And then it just ends up on the floorboard of your car. You don't train yourself to give thanks. You don't rejoice in the gospel. You don't fellowship with God through his word and prayer and the church. And then you act surprised when your heart is just as troubled as it was before. So my final exhortation to you this morning is stop it. Don't do that. Do what God is telling you to do by his grace to help your heart heal and grow stronger. Finally, I want you to know that if you are here this morning and you are looking for true peace and true joy, it cannot be found outside of Christ. I'm telling you, I've looked everywhere. I've, I've poked my nose in every world religion every worldview i've tried every kind of drug under the sun i've been in every kind of therapy and counseling session i've had needles put in my ears and freudian psychology and seroquil and i've, I've had it all and i'm telling you none of it lasts if you are looking for a temporary breakthrough a fragile kind of peace the world has it for you in spades but if you are looking for an enduring peace 
only place you can find it is in Christ Jesus. Why? Why, why only in Christ? Because it was our sin that created the lack of peace in the first place. It was our rebellion against the God who created us to know him and to have a loving, joyful, peaceful relationship with him. And God could have just left us in that state, but he didn't. He came to us in the person of his son. And when Jesus came, he said, I bring my peace with me. Now you might be thinking, okay, all right, well, so what's the sales pitch? What do, I, what do I have to do? How much is it going to cost me to get this peace? Well, that's the most amazing thing about this, is that it doesn't cost you anything. It costs Jesus everything. It cost him his life. He suffered the wrath of the Father, the eternal wrath of the Father on the cross. He was separated from his Father. He was separated from eternity. He knew no peace on the cross. He said, my God... My God, why have you forsaken me? And he wasn't acting when he said that. It wasn't a role he was playing. He was forsaken. He lost all joy. He lost all peace. Why? So that you could have it. And he invites you into it today. If you'll just turn away from your sins, the things that are stealing your peace, and trust in him and his promise. I pray that you will. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have received abundantly from you this morning. We pray that you will help us to feast on your word for the rest of the week until you bring us back next Sunday or you come and take us home. Come quickly, Lord, and bring your peace with you. Amen. Amen. Church, I can't think of a better response on this thing than it is well with my soul. Let's stand and sing this together.